Hello, hello, and welcome to the podcast Invest in You. Today we've got a guest from London who is not from London at all, Brendan Kane. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to connect with you and everybody that's uh, listening to this. Perfect. So, again, the reason why I found you in the first place was because uh, I read one of your books. And uh, on that note, I started to see what you're doing. And I like the simplicity of doing small, small, small actions towards increasing your following. So I suggest we focus a bit on that. But before we dive in there at all, for people who have no idea who you are, you are from the US, tell us a bit more about yourself. Yeah, I've been in in this marketing field and social media and all forms of marketing all the way back to about 2005 and initially got into this space because uh, I wanted to be a film producer. And I, I showed up at film school hoping that they would teach me about business and quickly realized they don't teach you anything about business there. So I figured I had to, um, start businesses on my own while I was going to college, really just to learn and experiment. So by the time I showed up uh, in LA for the entertainment industry that I was adequately prepared. Uh, so I ended up showing up in LA and like everybody else, you had to start at the bottom making coffee and copies and deliveries and, uh, and, you know, obviously like everybody that starts at the bottom, you want to find ways to attract attention yeah. at the highest level. So in my case, it's studio executives, um, directors, producers, and, and even actors. And I could just see each time somebody would ask me, well, why did you, what do you want to do? Why did you move here? And I would say, I wanted to be a film producer. I could see everybody's eyes glaze over, you know, yes. because you're just one of a million. So I had to reassess and figure out, well, what is the way to stand out? You know, what is my hook point, you know, is what the book is about. And in order to develop that hook point or any hook point, I had to, to, to do analysis. I had to take a step back and see, well, what is a way to stand out? What is a problem that I could solve? And in the film industry, I realized that each time we finished a film, something that we would invest tens of millions of dollars into uh, or sometimes over a hundred million dollars plus into a single piece of content, there would be a tremendous amount of stress and anxiety that would come over the studio. Um, because you invested all this money and now you need hundreds of millions of people around the world to know about this piece of content and you don't have years to do it. You've got months to do it. So I started um, just having conversations with the heads of the studios and the producers and saying, listen, um, I know how to tap into these online traffic sources, uh, informing these companies and get us traffic and eyeballs and awareness, uh, for a fraction of the cost that we were paying for television, print, and radio, in some cases, no cost at all. Uh, for example, uh, I pioneered one of the, the first ever YouTube influencer campaigns on the platform back in like 2007 for a movie okay. with Jason Statham. Yep. And there wasn't even such a thing called influencers at that point. I just saw these people that were, reaching so many people. I was like, well, why don't I just email a hundred of them and say, do you want to interview a movie star? You know? And I got like four or five responses and they ended up being some of the biggest uh, YouTubers at that, at that time. Uh, so that's really how I got started. And then, you know, just working in the film industry, I kind of realized it was uh, more corporate than I anticipated. Everybody thinks it's really sexy and creative and fun, but it's another corporation. And at, at my core, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, I want to build things and I found that I was um, asking for permission to do things more than actually getting to execute. 
Uh, so I, I left and I started building uh, technology platforms and licensing them back to big media companies. Right. Uh, so I built platforms for you know MTV, Viacom, Vice Magazine, uh, Yahoo, Paramount, to, to name a few, uh, and uh, further kind of entrenched myself in the digital space. And uh, they were also social media tied. You know, one of the platforms was. Uh, the first ever influencer marketing platform that was built on top of MySpace, and just ended up to be too early um, because yes. influencers were not mature at that that point in time. Uh, and then from there, I started getting heavily involved in the paid advertising space and helped uh, advise uh, a social media uh, optimization firm where we took it from managing about three hundred thousand a year to to over a hundred million a year uh, in less than three years. So we were optimizing social media campaigns for you know, major brands like a Disney and Xbox, a Fox. And through that, I just saw a lot of the inefficiencies, uh, because we were getting pieces of creative again, similar to yes. the film industry where we were, they invested hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars into a piece of creative. And they wanted us to spend millions of dollars marketing that piece of the creative. And when I would always ask the question, well, how do we know this creative is going to work with this audience? they didn't have the data to support it. They were going off of creative hunches and for major yes. corporations, sir, you can lose a few times and not significantly impact you, but it's not a long-term strategy. And it's not a strategy for people that don't have the money to invest heavily in a specific direction. Uh, so that's where I started. Uh, after I started building testing methodologies and some predictive calculations on top of social media platforms, really to understand what forms of communication, what formats, what structures, what themes uh, really resonate with audiences um, to hit the KPIs that my clients were working for and started layering in a lot of, um, behavioral psychology and communication patterns and communication frameworks to enhance, uh, the effectiveness of that. And, uh, that's kind of set me on the path for writing my first book, 1 million followers. And then, uh, the second book, uh, hook point. Yeah, I know you have been working quite a lot of strong, big brands, but how did it really start? Did you get education or did you get clients so in a way paying you to learn the trade um a lot of a majority of it was i was getting clients to pay i mean yeah. like well, listen when i started in college i did it myself and i i had to do it ineffectively like one of the the technologies that we did is cost us 50 dollars you know so uh, there was a combination of both uh, i would say about 80 percent of the learning was through either, you know, obviously starting the movie industry, the studio was paying me to create a digital division for them and experimenting with marketing budgets there. Uh, and then I would get clients to fund things. And then, and then you know, eventually, as I kind of worked my way up and I started to make more money, I would take that money and invest back into my learnings, into experiments that I couldn't get other clients to, to fund or things that I wanted to learn before I took it to uh, a client or a series of clients. Yeah, I can completely relate to that because the podcast name is Invest in You. That's exactly what you did. And we like to applaud you for that. So in terms of personal development, uh, have you always like read books or had some mentors or is it just absorbing what's around you? How, what has been your secret? Yeah, my primary method of, of learning is is not reading books. For some reason, my mind doesn't kind of connect with that. It's hard for me to sit down and read a book. So I would always seek out individuals and learn as yeah. much as possible from them. But I think my, my main modality for whatever it is, personal growth, business growth is doing is like yes, it. I can learn things, 
but I have to actually go and do it to really understand it and to get to the core of what makes it work, dissect it into its simplest form so that I can really scale it. Like if, you know, I typically start with complex problems and in order for my mind to wrap uh, its head around, I needed to, I needed to distill it down into its simplest form. So a, I can figure out what at the core makes it work and then innovate off that core and test how to scale it. But more importantly, so that I can share and teach other people that because I'm not interested in just doing something once I'm interested in developing a system around it so that it can truly scale and evolve. I like it. Yeah. And the key word in, in all of that long story is actually doing so many people who call themselves entrepreneurs uh, miss the doing part. And uh, that's what really creates the entrepreneur dare to do in, in the first place. All right. So where are you today for the people who don't know? Uh, yeah. So currently, uh, you know, our company is called hook point after, after the book and really, uh, our core focus is on a viral content engineering process that we've developed to effectively help people, uh, communicate at scale, whether that, you know, a lot of it, it does deal with social media, but as you remember from, from hook point, it also deals with offline communication, B2B communication and all of that. But Fundamentally, the world has shifted and a majority of marketing um, principles and strategies have not shifted with that dramatic change. So just to kind of amplify that, if we think back pre-social media, maybe 20 years ago, there's probably a million content creators on the planet um, that are reaching the masses because that was heavily regulated. You know, there was a big wall up. You had to uh, go through a television station, a newspaper, a magazine, a radio station. And that wasn't available to everyone. You either needed the budgets to spend, which yes. especially with television, there was big minimums, or you had to have connections with um, producers of shows and things of that nature. Uh, fast forwarding to today, there's 3.96 billion content creators on the planet. That's how many people are in social media. And each one of them have, has the power with the click of a button to publish something into the world. Now, does that mean that it's reaching the masses? No, but even if you're reaching your family, your friends, um, or even if it's just a hundred people following you, that is putting more content into the world. So there's hundreds of billions of messages that are sent out in the world every day. So that fundamentally shifts the way that we need to communicate because as marketers, um, or just people that want to disseminate a message at scale, we're competing against hundreds of billions of messages. And thus we need to have more nuance, more sophistication, more psychology in the way that we're constructing our content. So our viral content engineering process, um, does just that it, it breaks down a, a fundamental workflow, um, and process to effectively create content that gives you the best chance to communicate effectively at scale. Cool. I'll give you two cases and I will just take some nuggets from, from your process if, if you're okay with that. So I've got two co-hosts, which are normally on this show. Ivan has uh, got uh, one video I would like to talk about and Sean has got one. I'll just give you a high level. I would like you to focus on what do you think that brought both of these two videos well into 1 million plus views on YouTube? So Ivan uh, was, has got a fitness channel and he was doing bench press and, um, and he failed. 
So basically, it's just a, a 16 second video, and it's him basically failing to do the bench press. And, uh, and that's it. And then Charlie's, on the other hand, uh, was uh, around Minecraft how to buy 100% certified diamonds in the Minecraft world. Why do you think that either of those or both of them were, were uh, hitting 1 million plus viewers' ideas? Well, yeah, the, the, I can't answer that question just by the description. I understand that. Because we're, we're looking at, and I'll explain why. So there's, for video to go viral, two fundamental things have to happen. Um, you need to stop the scroll. Or in the yeah. case of YouTube, if it's a suggested video, clicking yes. on the thumbnail or headline. And then secondarily, you have to hold attention for as long as possible. And the reason you have to do both of those things is because of the algorithms. Now, yeah. the algorithms get a lot of misjudgment, classification, demonization. One of the biggest myths people will say is, oh, the, the algorithms are there to suppress your reach, so you have to pay for it. <laughs> well, if that was the case, nobody would go viral. It just right. it wouldn't happen. The algorithms have one job and one job only, and that is retention. Because longer, the longer people spend on these platforms, the longer people spend consuming their content, the more as they serve. So going back to what we were talking about earlier, with billions and billions of messages sent out, the algorithms on the back end are analyzing all of these data points to see which videos can hold attention for a long period of time. Now you mentioned one of the videos was only 16 seconds. Yep. Well, if somebody, if a majority of people are watching 16 seconds, like that is longer than most videos. Like we, we have a video, I think just surpassed 25 million views on Facebook. And I think the average retention is like 26 seconds. Yes. Um, I have a friend that's about to 20 million followers on TikTok. Um, that I just interviewed for a magazine we're about to launch. And we dissected um, his most viewed video, which is over 90 million views, and another video that was 5 million views. The 90 million view video had an average retention of 27 seconds versus the 5 million view had 21 seconds. Right. So that six second differential represented an 85 million um, view difference. So that's kind of how we're looking at it. So if we were to dive into those two examples, yeah. I would first look at, um, depending on the platform, well, what is happening in those first three seconds? What is the title of the video? How is it set up? And then look at, well, how is it holding attention? You know, for the, the for the fail one, you know, and again, I haven't seen the video, but I would suspect that it's set up that, you know, this person's going to fail but you want to see what that means. Is he exactly. going to get hurt? Does he yeah. drop it on his head? Does he drop it on exactly. another person? Yeah. Like that, that type of dynamic can cause that. The other video I would suspect is there is probably um, two audiences that are being attracted. One that's a Minecraft audience that yeah. really wants to understand how to achieve exactly. this goal. And another general audience that like, what the hell does it mean to mine data or um, yeah, diamonds yeah, 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 in, yeah. in Minecraft? Um, so, so I know that's a very long winded uh, answer to your I question, think, but I just want to kind of provide the, the, the layers to how we would, would dissect that. Yeah. I think, I think everyone can find useful things in what you just share there. Just uh, the stickiness. So because Ivan's video was very short, people pretty much, like you said, the word fail was there. 
and it was a failure. And he did survive. That's good. Uh, he didn't die. And Charles was, I think, more than half all the viewers uh, were uh, more than five minutes. So they were really keen to see, watch like instructional and, and try it. So harking all of that, the, the idea of viral videos, there are so many ideas out there. What, what would be like a couple of thoughts if people like to be seen by more than friends and family? Just a couple of golden nuggets, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. So we, we started with uh, the fundamental thing that the algorithms are looking for at its highest level. Uh, you have to stop the scroll or earn the click. Yeah. If you can't do that, that's the first signal to an algorithm that no, you're not going to win retention. And then secondarily is that retention graph. But the, 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 the fundamental place that most people fail and one of the core tenets of, of, of the process that we have is research is it's, it's, it's just amazing how few people actually start by understanding and dissecting videos. Like yeah. you just put out two amazing examples. And I love that you did that and asked, why did these work? Most people don't even stop to try and hypothesize yes. why these videos worked or in addition, why these videos don't work. And that is at the core, like you can't design something and engineer success. Maybe yes, you can have a lucky single video go viral and that does happen. But if you want to do it consistently, exactly. if you want to do it predictively, it all starts with research. Um, so that's one element of it. And, and the depth of research that we go is very nuanced in terms of like how I broke down those two videos without even seeing, and I could be wrong based on not actually seeing the video, no, that's good. That's good. but setting those hypotheses and breaking down, well, what is driving that success? And then saying, well, how can I reproduce that? Another mistake people make is they're just looking at people in their specific niche or industry. Whereas the examples that you pointed out, we can take the learnings from that and apply it to a completely different industry like meditation or um, you know, an, a video on real estate. So learnings can be applied and, and oftentimes people are looking at other people in their niche um, to make content decisions when oftentimes they're underperforming. I see this all the time. They're like, well, my competitor is doing this. And then we look at the data and it's like, well, your competitor is not doing well. So sure, take those learnings of what not to do, but yes. we've got to expand our scope in terms of that research. Uh, another big um, area is quality over quantity. Most people, and, and yes, at one point in time, frequency was key, but not anymore because the algorithms don't care about frequency. They care about retention. They care about keeping people on the platform longer. So focus more on each piece of content intently than spreading yourself too thin. Another thing that we, we have in our process is um, single production iteration. Focus on one piece of content at a time. Because you know I see this all the time that people are scheduling out their content for quarters or for months or for weeks. But that doesn't really produce an agile approach where we can learn from each piece of content and fuel those learnings into the next one. Because we could sit down for a few days or a day or a few hours and create enough content for the next quarter. But then we wait until the end of the quarter to figure out what worked and what didn't work. And oftentimes you lose track of those things. So those are just a, a few key tips, but I, yeah, I, I really, really recommend starting with research. 
Super, super helpful. So one reason why I bumped into you in the first place was your book, which is called One Million Followers. Without giving away the gold nuggets, because we want people to, to check it out, what, what, how did you come up with the idea? And, and what does it mean? I know, but for people that don't know, the book title is actually One Million Followers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this is one of the core principles, and I talk about in Hook Point, that a lot of people... Um, struggle for success. It's the difference between needs and wants. So most business owners um, or or specialists or coaches or whatever it may be, they've spent years mastering their craft. They know it better than anybody. They're 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 true experts. However, oftentimes the more you become an expert in something, the the less that you can really distill it down into its simplest form. So fundamentally, we know what the end consumer needs, but they may not be there yet. So what we talk about is leading with the want yes. to drive them to the need. So with 1 million followers, uh, you know, I'd wanted to do a book for years, but I didn't feel like I had a, an effective hook point to, to really market it. And again, the blessing and the curse of starting in the film industry is I was forced to bring ideas that could reach hundreds of millions of people. If I brought an idea that was going to reach 10,000, 100,000, or even a million people, they would fire me or they, you know, laugh me out of the room. So my mind is thinking <laughs> always at scale. Okay. And, uh, you know, at the time I was using those test testing methodologies that I was talking about to, um, help celebrities, journalists, um, professional athletes to, to um, generate followers, because especially I was working with some action sports athletes and their earning potential is heavily predicated on social followings um, because most of their money, 90% plus is by endorsements, not by winning contests. That money is, is very minimal. Um, so I was seeing the data. I was getting a lot of practice going in and I thought to myself, uh, because I heard this all the time. Well, it's great that you did this for a Taylor Swift or an MTV or a Paramount, but, but what about the people? I'm not a big person. I'm starting from scratch or I'm a small business, or I haven't reached that, that critical television or press acclaim. Yep, yep. Yeah. It's super easy to do for them, but you can't do it for these other people. First off, it's not easy even to do it at the <laughs> highest levels. Um, but that just seated the idea in my head is like, I knew I could do this because I had done it for three and a half years. It's not like I woke up one morning and like, well, I just have this idea. I'm going to try it. The question was, why should I do it? And, you know, there was a lot of uh, strategies that I accumulated over the 15 years of doing this that I wanted to share, but I didn't have the right hook point. So I knew a million followers in 30 days, one, it was possible. And two, it was a great hook point to bring people what I knew they needed to learn to be effective um, in the world, such as like testing content, the psychology of, of messaging, strategic alliances and partnerships, um, you know, shareability around content. But if I led with any of those, it wouldn't have been as effective. Those so I, I, yep. <laughs> I, yeah. And I tested it, you know, I tested with a literary agent first to say, I'm thinking about doing this. If you do this, would you sign me as a client and get me a publishing deal. He said, yes. Then I tested it with experts in the marketing field to say, I'm thinking about doing this. Would this be of interest to you? And they said, yes. Um, so again, I did it to get people to the needs that I wanted to express to them. It doesn't mean that I don't talk about follower growth or any that I do deliver on the promise of breaking down how I did it, uh, in addition to other experts. Uh, but again, 
I wanted to start with an effective hook to again, play to people's wants, which most people want followers for one reason or the other to get them to the actual needs. So again, I know that's a long-winded answer that's to perfect. your question, but I just want to provide the psychology behind the actual decision that, that caused that. Yeah, I'll, I'll pull out a couple of things I wish I really, really liked. Uh, number one, the, the book as such, I did like. Uh, but you mentioned strategic partners, fantastic. Uh, and also that it is it is quite doable. And I really like as well that you you pre-sold the idea, for example, to the publishing and to other people who might be interested to be part of that journey before you pull the trigger. And that's really good as well. So many, many people listening into this, you can kind of like pre-sell test ideas before you actually pull the trigger on a product or even a company, or in this case, how you can grow your media's following. So perfect. Let's, let's dive in some of the practicalities over how did you even start? Yes, you did your research, you did your thinking. Uh, again, you don't need to give away the book at all. That's not the purpose. But what are a couple of things you really like how you explained it in the book? Just uh, two or three things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and listen, I, I have no hesitation of revealing things from the book. No, no, With right. that said, there's only, there's only so much we can cover in a short period of time. Yeah. So I'll give kind of high level um, aspects of it. So uh, a few things. One, I just want to preface, and you've read the books, so you know this. The book is not just based upon my following. It, the people featured in that book through my friends, my partners, we've collectively generated over 100 million followers, billions and billions of, of views. And we've done that for clients as well. But really kind of there was two core um, experiments that I ran. First started with Facebook of generating a million followers in 30 days. And the second one was generating a million followers on, on Instagram. In the book, we talk about YouTube and LinkedIn and other ones, but I'll focus on those two elements. Yeah. Uh, so Facebook, uh, each of these platforms are distinctly different in, in unique ways. So Facebook really um, is, is built around sharing. Like you actually have a share uh, button where you can share a piece of content and everybody you know can be exposed to that. The other platforms do not have that. Yes, they have share buttons, but it's not that dynamic. So with Facebook, my goal beside beyond just you know, stopping the scroll and holding attention was how do I get people to share it? And the beauty of Facebook is if you put a piece of content in front of somebody and they share it, you grow out this way, you know, exponentially, yes. um, I'm, you know, like for that. people not seeing this, uh, I'm moving my hands out. Like you can, somebody can click the share and you can expose it to a hundred people or a thousand people or, or something like that. Um, so my, the way that, that I was doing it is I was using um, the Facebook and Instagram have an amazing advertising platform, but I'm going to focus specifically on Facebook, but I wasn't using it as an advertising tool or a media buying tool. I was using it as a market research tool because it allowed me to rapidly iterate and test content at scale in a very short period of time to identify one, what's stopping the scroll two what's holding retent, um, that attention. But more importantly, once I've hold, held that attention, how do I get them to share it? What is that message that can get them to share it? So that was with Facebook. And I just rapidly iterated and tested over 30 days to find the content variations and formats that yield that word of mouth sharing. Now, Instagram is completely the opposite. You have to start out, you distributing your content out and driving it back in. 
Um, so what does that actually look like? What does it actually mean? So I had, um, uh, created partnerships with, with what's called meme accounts. So they're accounts that are not individuals. They're not brands. They're around specific subject matters. So there's, for example, like the good quote is all about inspirational quote and inspiration. There's meme accounts around fitness, fashion, um, food, and their whole, um, ecosystem is growth. Like they're the best kind of, um, growth hackers out there. So I, I, I formed a partnership with one account that had about 4 million followers. And what I would do is I would test content on his account that would advertise my account. So I'd rapidly iterate and test on his account, what content formats, um, and stories and structures that would inspire somebody to be like, wow, this account looks really amazing. I need to go over and click and follow it. Otherwise I'm going to miss out or I just want to dive in deeper and get to know this account or this person more. So we would test. And then when we would find an effective hook point, um, driving to my account, then we would have a network of over 20 million, um, uh, or we would have a network of over 20 accounts that equaled, uh, you know, I think it was like 50 or hundred million followers collectively. So we'd push it all out at once. Um, but to take it even, uh, to, to give you another analogy, uh, I believe still at this time, the rock is the most followed person on Instagram. Now, most people would look at the rock and say, well, he built that totally organically, but he didn't every movie he's in, they, you know, cause he's in the biggest movies on the planet. They're investing a hundred million dollars plus just on the marketing. And then he's on the cover of magazines, newspapers, every television show, billboards, all of that awareness drives back to his brand. And a part of his brand is his Instagram account. Same with Kim Kardashian. She's probably the second most solid person. She, you know, the card keeping up with the Kardashian saying what you want was one of the biggest shows on the planet. So again, all of that drives back to following those accounts. So that's kind of at a high level, the, the, the approaches that I took with, with both of those experiments. Yeah, really good point. Because like I said, many times the, the key person of influence in any kind of uh, company has most times got way greater following than the actual company as well. So today... Uh, Elon Musk said, maybe I should stop being CEO and just be an influencer instead. Uh, but he already is an influencer in, in a way by everything he says. Is coming yeah, by, he is definitely an influencer. By, He's by, one of the biggest media. influencers on the planet. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, re- revealing names and not revealing names, what has been uh, some really fun projects to work with uh, as part of helping someone else to grow their social media following? It can be anything at all. I mean, I, I think it was, it was really fun and and interesting working with Taylor Swift very early on more. So obviously we helped her along the way and I'm not sitting here taking credit for her success. She was well underway. She would have been successful without us. Um, but we did do some things that were very successful for her, but the reason I thought it was interesting, um, and fun was what I learned from her because at a very early on, she understood social media better than most, almost better than everybody. And the fact that, and this is another area that most people get wrong is social media is a one-to-one platform. People treat it as it's a one-to-many platform. You know, so you see people get on a video and say, Hey, everybody. But when we're using social media, like we're by ourselves, exactly. you know, we're you know, sitting on the couch, we're sitting uh, in the subway or, or, or something like that. 
So she fundamentally understood that at a very deep level that made her tremendously successful. So I think that fundamentally was a really interesting um, learning and fun experience to kind of delve um, deep into that strategy and methodology. So again, most people who consume this content, uh, we have in a very small private setting. Uh, it's, it's you, Brendan, it's me, Frederick, and uh, whoever it might be who's listening. And again, it might be on a walk, it might be anywhere. So how do you find the just audio as uh, a format? I really, really like it, uh, but video is more popular. But podcasts have been grown tremendously over the last couple of years when we've been doing it. I think it's a powerful meme. I, I think it's honestly, it's, it's just as powerful as, as video. I, I think video has the potential to get larger reach, but even me, for example, my consumption behavior on YouTube is primarily listening, which is kind of odd because it's a video based platform. But I think that that emotional connection or that deep level relationship, um, is, is really there, especially the one, one of the reasons I love podcasting, um, is because it's a long format uh, model, you know, cause most people in even looking at the, the, the hook point book, how to stand out in a three second world, it's not saying that, that there's such high level micro attention in order to hold attention. It's micro attention to grab attention. So like the perfect example is Joe Rogan, two and a half hour podcast, and they will get people to listen to the whole thing or squid game on, on Netflix. People will watch it for, for nine, nine episodes an (laughs) hour each. So that's what I love about podcasts. Obviously, um, grabbing the attention is the struggle for any platform, especially as podcasts get more and more competitive. But, um, I love the audio format for that purpose. And it was one of the reasons that I recorded both of my audiobooks myself, which is a, a very intensive process. I mean, it takes like four or five days yeah, spending, know. you know, seven or eight hours a day, but because I wanted that personal connection with the person that would be listening to it. And I like to applaud you for that. Again, it's not easy to read out loud. And even if it's your words, it still feels a bit clunky. Uh, and, and well done for doing so. We still have done the audio of our book uh, yet. Uh, I was also very much advocating that we will do it ourselves because it, we are two authors. So they would like to have a connection with us. But also a long book can be hard work. Uh, I got Definitely. A, uh, I got a, a friend who is writing very long books and not just one, but usually more than one a year. And people like his voice. <laughs> I feel sorry for you, Rob. <laughs> Uh, and he is uh, therefore having to read also his bricks uh, to the level where I think he can pull out all of his hair. But uh, the audience loves it. So yeah, uh, uh, any great voice you've heard out there that you really like? It can be whatever. Yeah, well, that's a that's a you know because I don't know if it's about a voice, um, but more just the content. Like again, I'm a huge fan of Joe Rogan and what he's done yeah. with his podcast and the experience. Um, it's, it's also interesting. Like I like Lex Friedman too, and he's kind of got like a very dry approach, but his content is so fascinating. And that's where I think that, um, you know, people can overcome, you know, cause Joe Rogan is very charismatic, but he's also a genius of topics and how he covers it. Lex Friedman is definitely the least charismatic 
you can Google or go on YouTube, but the content is so interesting. Eckhart Tolle, the same thing. His voice is, is, is sometimes for me personally, very hard to listen to, but the content is, is so um, great and so tremendous. So those are just kind of examples that come to my mind. I don't know that I have a best example that I say, I love this person for the voice That's okay. because I, I'm such a content person. Now I'm sure there's other people that love, I love it for the voice. I but. really appreciate that you're sharing some of your uh, favorites because again, that's how we learn from others by recommendation. And, and thanks for sharing it. So the podcast name is called invest in you. What does that mean to yourself? Well, for me personally, um, I think there's two levels. One, I invest a tremendous amount in my personal well-being um, because it's kind of fascinating. And I think Mark Cuban coined this that that entrepreneurship and business is the ultimate sport because it never turns off. And it's so fascinating um, that a lot of people don't invest in themselves, whether it's in their mind or their body, like. I've, I've invested well over six figures into my mental well-being because I'm dealing with trauma and other things like that. But I also want to optimize myself for the long term. Like this is a marathon. This is a sprint. So for me as a business owner um, and having um, large um, aspirations to help as many people, I need to make sure that I'm investing in myself because otherwise, eventually I will shut down. My body will shut down. My mind will fatigue and I won't be able to play this beautiful game of entrepreneurship or business. Um, the second way that I invest is just learning. I'm a very curious person. I want to learn how things work and I spend a great deal of time, um, meeting people and understanding what they do, how they do it. Um, what are the larger aspirations? Like just that it's kind of a tangent, but I got turned on by narcos from Netflix and I'm fascinated by how the cartels operate from a business perspective, separating (laughs) the bad stuff that they do, but the innovation that they do with technology and structuring their business and, and things like that. It's fascinating to me. Do I want to be a drug lord? No, but I think that there's certain (laughs) things that you can learn from all these individuals that you can take away to how you, um, view business, how you view kind of, um, innovation and things of that nature. Yeah, no, fascinating. And interesting you said that because for me, it's the same thing. I've been working with, uh, the military special forces intelligence service using military means against, uh, criminals and, uh, and also same thing there. Now, late in my life, I've been working with, uh, business and organizational improvement uh, growth specialist. I saw that we got uh, Rory Vaden as a mutual connection. Uh, I was working in the same company as he did uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, very much like sales performance. How can you really optimize sales for like small companies like Google uh, and so on? Uh, so how can you optimize organized crime even better? I, I got the same like you. I can see areas of improvement as well. We're not selling consulting services to organized crime here, uh, but it's, it's really fun to see how your brain can take unexpected angles uh, by watching Netflix, for example, or other content. Yeah. I think that you, you learn some of the most important things by, by analyzing or dissecting completely different ways of life, completely different industries and businesses. Um, And it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with 
doing research is like people get so caught up in just studying what's going on in their business sector that they don't look at the larger world. And I think oftentimes the larger world will provide you much better um, information or strategy for massive growth. And I think that the best thought leaders, the best entrepreneurs in the world are doing just that. Yeah, 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 good point. Uh, we have got another stock question, which is like, what has been your favorite office so far? And that can be anything uh, using your out-of-the-box thinking hat. My favorite office? Yes, anything at all. Uh, on the road. Like it, <laughs> I hate offices. Like Simple I'm, I'm allergic. Yeah. I'm, I'm allergic to offices. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what I tell people. Uh, but beyond that, you know, the Facebook office was, was pretty amazing. Um, you know, we got to, uh, he wasn't there, but we got to, you know, I was with a, a high profile client. We got to have a meeting in Mark Zuckerberg's office, which is kind of fascinating because they call it the fishbowl. It's like, it's all glass. You can see all around. It's all glass in the middle of, I think it's one of, if not the largest open co-working space in all of North America. And it was just massive. Um, and that was pretty cool just to kind of experience that because so I'd actually taken a meeting with Facebook early on when it was just only 400 employees, but it was pretty, um, pretty amazing to see the, the, the enormity that goes into running a, a business like that. Yeah. I also been like consulting linked to the S and M, not, uh, <laughs> but sales and marketing for a long while, like yourself. So to see the companies like Salesforce, Google to move from small offices to like having whole blocks of, of flats and, and, uh, commercial spaces, fascinating so yeah we've been doing this for a while uh have you got any question to me about anything at all we have just spoken about you uh anything at all i think what i guess the question is what 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 think what do you think makes you successful i think it's the the drive and also the curiosity i think questions can unlock wealths of of, of knowledge and i think that's compounding really nice over time. And also I like to help others. Uh, that keeps me busy. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So well, you, you are dialing from London today. Uh, is there any particular reason why you're in London? Because usually in uh, Texas, right? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I'm based out of Texas, just moved um, to Texas from LA, uh, but okay. I spend a lot of yep. time in, in London. Uh, well, I spend a lot of time in Europe. You know, we just started hiring people in, in Lisbon, Portugal, uh, I really enjoy uh, Europe and, you know, just currently here taking, taking some uh, meetings. Fantastic. Yeah, no, I love traveling. It has not been as much as possible during the COVID time because it's, yeah, it's complicated. It's easy to meet like this yeah. as well. All right. Yeah. So for people who like to get in contact with yourself, we have mentioned uh, both of your books. So both uh, the 1 million followers and then also the, the, the hook point. How can people find you online? Yeah. Way. I think that if, if, if people uh, found this conversation valuable, uh, they can go to hookpoint.com. Um, there's a video that breaks down our, our methodology. That's completely free. You can also download our deck. Some people do that as kind of a reference. Uh, and if they want to kind of get in contact with us, there's an easy way to, to schedule a call with our team. Um, and in terms of the books, yeah, you can buy the books anywhere books are sold. 
Uh, if you go to book.hookpoint.com or book.1millionfollowers.com, it just has ancillary kind of add-ons that you can get if you want to dive um, super deep. I uh, also on Instagram at Brendan Kane, I do try and check and respond to um, as many DMS as, as I possibly can. Yeah. You've been super generous with your time and sharing your wealth of knowledge and uh, applauds again for writing not one, but multiple books because it, uh, it takes some time to put pen to paper. So yeah. Do you have another one on the go? Pre -pre yeah. We actually had a meeting before that. We actually had a meeting before this where we're, we're planning one out. So, uh, we, I'm pretty sure yeah. we're going to do it. I think so. Uh, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, any closing words? I very much enjoyed the conversation so far. Uh, I just, you know, thanks everybody um, for tuning in. It was a pleasure, um, personally getting to connect with each one of you. And, uh, yeah, I just wish you the best in your journey and, and wish you the best and success. Perfect. Thanks for this time.